0: You're Dr. OBlum, we're excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope you enjoy today's message.: So as I've mentioned, the year 2020 can probably be summed up as the year of crisis. I don't know about you, but there is nothing like a crisis that forces us to focus inward, to look at ourselves, to complain about everything that's going wrong and how unfair life is. And I mean, you could just pack it on. And there's so many people I've spoken to that's in this space. However, today, I'd like to invite you to look with me at a moment in Jesus's life where he was on the doorstep of a great crisis and he chose, instead of looking inward, to look outward. It's a quite famous piece of scripture. It's in John chapter 13, and it's the moment where Jesus is busy washing his disciples' feet. John chapter 13, verses 1 to 17, and if you'd like to go and read it, I really want to encourage you to spend some time in this passage of scripture. However, let me just color in something of the background. Here we have Jesus, and he's on the eve before Passover. He knows what's coming next is going to be the greatest and most horrific moment of suffering and pain that he'll have to endure in his life. He's going to have to sacrifice himself. To top it all off, he's sitting at a table with a group of guys around him, his disciples, his faithful, loyal followers, and he knows not one of these guys are going to stay with him through this moment of suffering. Can you imagine how it must feel to know that your greatest moment of suffering is going to come and there will be no one around that walks it through with you? That's exactly what Jesus was. The reality is is Jesus had every reason to say, well, let me just withdraw from this moment. Let me just have a nice little pity party on the side for myself about how bad things are gonna be. Jesus had every right to start complaining about how unfair life is, because he died even an innocent death. His death wasn't justified. Yet, in that moment, Jesus did, like so many of us have seen him do, if you've known his life, if you've read his life, he takes a countercultural move. And instead of having a pity party, he decided to serve his friends. He got out the robe, the Bible tells us, took up a dishcloth, basin of water, and he starts washing his disciples' feet one by one. And Jesus in this moment is teaching us three things about serving. The first one is he teaches us that we are called to serve. Secondly, that there is a struggle that we are going through when it comes to serving. And then lastly, he gives us the power to serve. So first, let's look at the call that Jesus gives us all to serve. You and I, we have been called to serve. And we find it here in John 13, verse 14, when Jesus, after washing his disciples' feet, and quite a few interesting things happened in this, which we're going to be looking at a little bit later. But he uttered these words, looking at his disciples, saying the following. He says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I think it's so clear to see what Jesus is busy doing here. He's showing his, he's discipling his disciples in that moment. He's showing them his expectation of how you ought to be reacting in the midst of a crisis. It's so radical just for who he is and what he's doing. I mean, he is the Lord of the universe Yet. He takes on the form of a servant and he calls you and me to do exactly the same in any circumstances of our life. No matter how big or how small the crisis might be, no matter how good it's going, you always have the posture and the opportunity to serve those around you. And he's calling you and me as Christ's followers to do the exact same. And you know what's so amazing? It's not just that we are called to serve. Jesus is touching on something so much bigger than just calling you to serve. You and I, we have been created to serve. That is the reality. That's the truth of what the Bible teaches. Genesis 1, verses 26. It says, God said, let us make man. That's you and me. Let us make him in our image and our likeness so that they may rule. Rule over what? Rule over my creation. We are here to serve the purposes of God with our life. That's what we were created to do. You and I, we were created to serve. That's the reality of our DNA, of our design. However, we also see in this piece of scripture that there is a struggle going on with our capacity to serve, to actually fulfill the purposes of God with our life, to truly serve his purposes. And then we see that struggle going on, and the reality is here, it's captured in this. Because you and I have been created to serve, everyone in this world serves. We serve someone or somebody. And we see that so clearly with the two characters that John is busy introducing in this story with Jesus washing the disciples' feet. The first one that we all know so well is Mr. Peter himself. And there is this interesting scene going down. And Peter is the guy that I would like to call the religious servant. He's the guy serving religion in this moment. And there's this little scene of him coming to Jesus. And it's his turn for Jesus to wash his feet. And he's like, Jesus, no, 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 no. You cannot serve. You can never wash my feet. This is not allowed. I mean, you are way too high up there. I'm I'm not ever going to be able to do that. I'm not ever going to allow you to do that. And then Jesus looks at him and says to him, Peter, well, if I don't wash your feet, then you can have no part of me. (laughs) I mean, classic Peter. It's like, well, Jesus, then you need to wash everything. Like my whole body, here I am, I'm ready for this. And you know what? Religion works exactly in the same way. If you live in a world where religion is your master, where you serve religion, it's either no Jesus I can do this thing on my own. I don't need you, Jesus. I'll wash my own feet. And then when you hear about a requirement that you need to get to, you like overemphasize and overstep on that requirement. It's just like you blow it up. It's not just my feet. It's my whole body. I'll just super up. It's like Jesus plus everything. It's Jesus plus making sure I'm reading my Bible. Jesus plus making sure I'm going to church. Jesus plus, Jesus plus. And everything just makes me worthy. That is when you serve religion, and that's clearly what we're seeing in the story. We're seeing Peter struggling to serve what Jesus wants to give him, being powered to go out and truly serve, because he's busy serving another master. Then there's another character that's alluded to, his name is Judas, and I'd like to call him the rebellious servant. And he's the guy that wants to do things his own way and ultimately sell his soul for the highest bidder. To the highest bidder, sorry. This man is giving everything up to have it his way. He's the rebel, and he totally misses it. He's serving his own self-saintedness. And here John gives us two guys, both turning their backs on Jesus. The one, Peter, because his heart is sold out to his own self-righteousness, and the other, Judas, Iscariot, because his heart is sold out to his own self-centeredness. And they both betray him. I found it so profound just reading through this piece, because realizing what Jesus said just a, little few, a few chapters prior, when he was probably speaking to his disciples about, you're not able to serving two masters at once. You cannot serve both God and money. However, we were created to serve But we struggle to serve the right master. There is a struggle and a battle going on. And the thing about a master is that a master has a voice. And that voice guides our life. It guides your life. It guides my life. And I don't know what voices have been guiding your life in the midst of this crisis. Was it the voice of fear that gave you a false sense of control because you worry about everything? Was it maybe the voice of um, money, family, family? Maybe it was success. Maybe it's comfort that has been guiding you in how you ought to be living your life. You see, the thing about all of these false voices, all of these masters that claim they have the answer to you and me to fulfill our designed and our created destiny, is the fact that they all promise a false sense of worth and belonging, and they come at a price, comes at a cost of giving your life to to these masters. Let's use the example of money, for instance. Money is a voice that really loves speaking in its presence and in its absence. And when money starts speaking in its presence, it's probably saying the following. Saying, if you have me, you have worth. I can give you worth. I can give you net worth, in fact. (laughs) I can make you... Rich and famous, I can give you power. And if you have me, you have a place where you can belong. You belong with the rich people. However, to get me is going to cost you your family. Because you're going to offer up all your meaningful relationships to get more of me. You're going to risk it or offer it on the altar of getting more money. You're probably going to have to give up your health. You will finally, ultimately end up giving your life. It comes at the costs of everything. And then in steps, the famous comedian actor, Jim Carrey is from Canada, and he says the following. He says, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can see it's not the answer. What a bummer. Money promises everything, Yet it delivers nothing. Money in its absence also speaks, and it says, you know what? Instead of I can give you worth, it says I have taken your worth. You are worthless. You have no worth, and because you have no worth, you can add no worth. You can add no, nothing to this life. You have no meaning, and you belong with the nobodies. And then in steps a, a figure like a Mother Teresa, whose life had so much significant meaning, yet she lived among the poor, the poorest of the poor. How contradictory to, to the voice of money. The thing is, with all of these voices, with all of these masters that we struggle not to serve, they all overpromise and they under-deliver. They never truly fulfill what you have been created for. And then we see Jesus in the middle on the eve of the greatest crisis of his life, having the capacity and the power to serve those around him. I just want to lift it out. I just want to make sure that we really understand what he's busy saying. Do you realize you're reading a story about a man who's the Lord of all, son of God, I mean, he spoke the worlds into existence and now he takes on the form of a house slave and he starts washing the feet of his disciples, the feet of the men that would betray him, the feet of the man that would deny him, the feet of every single man that would abandon him in his greatest moment of need and crisis. Where did Jesus get the power to serve like? to be so countercultural if we're honest no one none of us have this level of compassion and power and grace just all bottled up inside i believe the answer is in verse 3 of the story john chapter 13 it says the following just before jesus started serving start uh, chapter uh, verse 4 jesus is actually john is actually telling us jesus then picked up the towel and he started doing Some stuff, and he started serving his disciples. But the verse just before that, he says the following. He says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. Where did Jesus find the power to serve like this? I believe he found it in the voice of his Father. And his Father making a statement about his authority and about his identity the true master, the real master, the good master. In fact, I wanna ask you, have you heard the voice of the Father? Have you heard him speak to you? The Bible tells us that Jesus is God's word becoming flesh. Now, I don't know if you realize how powerful that statement is, but like maybe a a limited illustration of when I experienced something like that in my own life, when I experienced the word that God has given me becoming flesh right in front of my very eyes. In September of this year, it will be seven years ago that I became a dad. I had the privilege of becoming a father. Jesus blessed me and my wife with a beautiful son. And I can still clearly remember how this truth dropped into my heart that every single time I'm looking at that boy, walking, living in my house, and I would even try to doubt whether I am good enough to be a dad. I would look at him and I'd know there is someone else, someone bigger, someone greater that says I am. I'm good enough to be a dad. And kind of God's word over my life is in the flesh walking around. And every time I look at John, I'm reminded of God's goodness and his word and what he's entrusting me with. And kind of in the same way, when we look at the life of Jesus, we hear the word of God. We hear his voice speaking to us. And he has something to say over you and over me. I'd like to read it to you quickly. It's in Isaiah 43 which is just one of the areas, and I think Isaiah brings it out so beautifully. It says the following, but now, this is what the Lord says. He who created you, he who formed you, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. It's in the words of our Father, through the life of Jesus, that we hear two things. Firstly, God has redeemed you. Your life is equal to the life of Jesus in value. You have worth and can add meaning to this world. Secondly, you belong somewhere. You are his. You belong to him. You're his child you know how powerful it is that the creator of the universe claims you and he says, you are mine? It is unbelievable. It's almost too good to think it's true. And at what cost? God, at what cost can I get this worth and at what cost can I get this belonging to you and your family? Have an identity and an authority in which I can walk out my life and go and be a blessing to the people around me? At what cost? Will it cost me my whole life? And God looks back at you and says, no. It will cost me the life of my son. It's on his cost that you get this present. And once your heart is captivated, not by religion, not, not by rebellious nature, not by money, not by family, once is captivated by the love and the final word of the Father, how can I give back? God, nothing is too big to give back. Let's pray. Father, thank you that today as we're reflecting on your word, that you've paid the ultimate price and put a a value statement on our life, that you've written the ultimate invitation and invited us into your family, that we know we belong, we are loved, and we have meaning. Father, I pray that it's from this place that Doxadeo Bloemfontein will go out And serve this city and bring peace and wholeness to a broken world, just like you did, Jesus. Let us love one another. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.